Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Jackson trying to escape and run for it, and he's got it more. Lamar Jackson down the sideline. Will they give it to him? They will. Touchdown, Baltimore. And with 117 left to play on Wild Card Weekend, the Hayes in the Barn. Oh my God! I wish you guys could. I wish we had a camera in here so you could see what we're doing. We're just a bunch of <laughs> clowns in here. <laughs> How much fun is that? All right, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It is Wednesday, July twenty-first. My name is Jake Luke. Joined on my screen on my screen by uh, two handsome devils here. It's Spencer Schultz and uh, Vasily Larikos. What's going on, gentlemen? Boz, we've missed you. I missed you guys too. I missed you guys too. We're gearing up now. Training camp's a week away. Time to get back to it. It is time to get back to it. How was your vacation? It was great. Quality time. Good weather. Enjoyed the kids. What, what more can you ask for? Where'd you guys go? Down the beach. Down the ocean. Nice. Down the ocean, hon. Yeah, they're the perfect age where they're yeah. they're living life down there right now. Yeah, hitting the boogie board at this yeah. age, first time. Eating little putt-putt? A couple times, little putt-putt, nice. boardwalk rides, you know, the usual. Very good. Hell yeah. So how's, uh, how's things been going everywhere else for you? It's been a couple months since you've been on here. You like to hop on periodically and give your takes. You're hopping on here for uh, what is going to be our training camp preview, a very pivotal episode, of course. How have, uh, how have been things in uh, Voss's Ravens takes land? You've been kind of quiet on the Twitter machine, taking some yeah. time off. How's it been going? Everything's good, man. Took a little time off from Twitter. You know, it's tired of recycling the same old arguments uh, month after month. I'm excited for the season. I think the Ravens are looking good. They, they have players where they need them, where they're not outclassed in certain positions like wideout, like they were the last two years. Uh, a couple – Potential issues on the roster, depth issues, but overall, good-looking squad. Absolutely. Spenny, how's it going with you? Doing well. Doing well, dog. Had some fun with Cole Jackson the other night on Sunday night. Hopped on his uh, two guys watching football. And I'm itch- I'm the- I've talked about the itch. The itch is getting scratched. And I was driving through the good old Timonium area, and it's it's getting towards August. And you can just see that that humid fog layer forming in the trees. And that's when you know the pads are going to be popping soon, baby. Not that too uh, thick, that not, thick, thick August sweat. 
Not to, not to bring a downer on you, I think that is from the California-slash-Oregon wildfires. It has made its way over through the jet stream, <laughs> and uh, that's what that haze is. No right way. Check, check Ava Marie's Twitter. Wow. Well, I'm taking it. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm identifying that as heat sweat, not, not fire. Okay. Listen, whatever you want to believe, as long as it's a, a positive My reality is not accepting that, okay? It was, it was, a, it was a heat sweat. That's okay. what we'll go with. Fair enough. All right, guys, so we are here, like I alluded to, for our training camp preview. We are going to be recording both parts of this pod tonight to release Wednesday and Friday. We are going to start with offense. We are going to go to defense. Uh, how are you guys feeling about this episode? I'm feeling pretty good. I'm excited to, to bust it down a little bit. was watching a lot more defensive film, so that's that's kind of more pertinent on my mind. I've neglected the Ravens' defense, I think, in my own brain throughout this offseason, so I, uh, I went back through, and I've taken a little bit of a breather on the other side of the football where everyone likes to focus, and I'm also ready for it at the same time. It's, it was nice talking with Cole, had a good discussion about the receivers, so I'm excited. I know Vaz is, is very high on the Ravens' offense. Yeah, I love doing roster projections and working. Can you, can you uh, steal a roster spot from one position group and give yourself a little bit more depth somewhere else, or, you know, who's the – right tackle, backup right tackle, all that kind of stuff. So this is a fun time of year. I, I always enjoy this exercise. Definitely. It's going to be fun. So we are going to jump into offense first. But before we get to that, I'm going to make some history here, guys. You excited? Yeah. You're excited. You're smiling like Kermit the Frog right now. <laughs> I'm making history here with the first ever oh, ad read oh, on this podcast. There we go. Today's show brought to you by Canadips CBD. What is Canadip CBD? It is a great tasting, superior alternative to traditional dip using CBD in a way that is radical, enjoyable, and effective. All flavor, no tobacco, no nicotine pouches that are spit free. Comes in five core flavors wintergreen, mint, citrus, mango, American spice. Crafted and manufactured in Humboldt County, California, the heart of the cannabis industry. How do you guys feel about something like Canadip? Spenny, I know you're big into it. I, I actually have chewed a couple, uh, what are they called? VYZs, vi, viz, uh, I can't remember what they're called. VYX. We're not we're not mentioning that in the candidate. Just right? the straight nicotine ones. <laughs> so I'm so I'm interested. I'm interested to get these candidates. I'm waiting on my welcome package as well. So I'm excited to to stick something in there. I'm uh I, I like to you know say what you want. You know you can't say pause to this. I'm saying on purpose. I got a little bit of an oral fixation. I like to chew on gum. I grind my teeth. I bite my nails. Uh, so I'm excited to pop some candidates in and. Get some of that American spice. That just makes me feel like I'm going to howl at the moon and turn into a wolf at midnight. <laughs> Why does it matter? Traditional dip is a hassle. It's addictive and messy. It's also over 100 years old. Voss, do you know that? No, I did not. Other alternatives, just, other alternatives just aren't good enough for guys today. They, they are either still addictive, still messy, or taste terrible. Canadip CBD is a new evolution in dip, allowing guys to enjoy great, long-lasting long taste, Without the downsides, what guy wants to rub down lotions on their bodies or take tinctures? Candidips keeps your manhood on level 1,000. Voss, I know that's big for you. Uh, what's the secret? We use 100% American-grown hemp combined with a water-dispersible technology, so it absorbs rapidly. We have developed a way to deliver CBD through the mouth that no one else has so that you can actually enjoy it. We use coconut fiber and other all-natural ingredients in our formulation. No synthetic flavorings or other crap. No other crap like that. Where can you get it? www. 
Canadips CBD, that is C-A-N-N-A-D-I-P-S, CBD.com is open 24-7. We are also getting into more convenience stores, so you can always keep an eye out wherever you shop. Look for your local Circle K. I don't know if we have Circle K around here. But we have Circle K. We There's do? one close to me. Okay. Yeah, on okay. the corner of Falls Road. That Lutherville area has all that. Like You have every single kind. Every like. convenience store. So yeah, convenience store, Circle K, maybe it's in Rofo, maybe Wawa, probably... Should have checked with Oscar first, but uh, we'll figure that out uh, when it's time. Use promo code FLAIR20, that is F-L-A-I-R-2020 for 20% off everything site-wide. And also, you guys saw us tweeting about this the other day, a little contest that they're doing right now. From the hills of Humboldt County, California, our friends at Candidate CBD, the nation's leading tobacco and nicotine-free dip alternative with CBD, are excited to present the Game of the Year. Candidate CBD is a fast-acting, fast-acting and innovative way to consume CBD that works and tastes great and won't make you play sneak at you with the wife during football season. You hear that, boss? The Game of the Year is one winner chosen by August 31st. Entry is easy. Head to CandidipCBD.com, like I spelled it earlier, and click the link or visit Candidip's main Instagram and look for the blue check mark. One winner will be chosen and can bring a plus one any regular season NFL game. Airfare for two with luxury hotel lodging. Great seats for the game. That's right. Candidip's is randomly choosing one lucky winner for the fan experience of a lifetime. So head to CandidipCBD.com and enter or go to the official at Candidip's Instagram and type it all the way in to find the blue check account. Be the winner and enjoy seeing Brady visit New England for a final showdown or whatever your game of the year is. We'll be tweeting about it, too, for the two tickets with airfare and luxury lodging for you and a plus one to attend an NFL regular season game. So they've got that going on on Twitter as well. You got to follow Candidips at Candidips. Click the link in Candidips bio, add the email and make sure you retweet and like Candidips to enter as well. So there you go. If you're watching on YouTube, it's currently running on the ticker on the bottom of the screen. If you're curious about spelling. So it's all there. Candidips, first ever. I'm excited. I can't wait to. I, I haven't gotten to try it yet. So, you know, full disclosure, haven't tried it yet, but I'm pumped too. Very excited. Yeah, I'm not a big, typically haven't been a big dip guy. It just hasn't agreed with me. But uh, this sounds like an alternative that uh, I'm excited to get into and uh, excited for these gents, these really nice guys that reached out to you and I individually and then kind of together to uh, start putting this together. So it's fun. First ever, we've had advertisers on our show via just kind of buying space through Megaphone and uh, our you know, handlers and whatnot, but uh, now, now is the uh, the first ever ad read Our on the pod. Handlers, like we're like we're the imp in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> we're like we're the CIA because mm. the CIA has handlers. But hey, how did I do my first ever ad read? That you crushed it. That was honestly, I haven't packed a dip since uh, packed a lip since middle school, but I I now want to. You're going to. Yeah, I'm mean, gonna be I'm gonna be flicking some heaters on here, baby. Let's go. We've got free sonk coming in the mail from uh, the gentleman that helped set this up, and I hopefully we're going to have more on the way because it seems like it's going to be a very fun partnership. But uh, ad read out of the way. You guys ready to jump into the preview? Let's do it. So starting with the offense, what is the uh, first thing that comes to mind with the 2021 Baltimore Ravens offense in training camp? Boss, we'll start with you. Uh, I think the biggest question is offensive line. I really do. Just a little bit of uncertainty. Will Ronnie Stanley be ready is the big question. Um, who's going to be the starting left guard? That's probably the most wide open position as far as who's starting. Uh, or maybe we said linebacker, but probably. And then how's it all going to come together? You have two new faces on the right side. The two big free agent expenditures, both on the offensive line. That was the first area that both... John Harbaugh and Eric DaCosta 
mentioned they wanted to address this offseason. So I'm very interested to see how it all comes together. Spenny, what do you think? First word that comes to mind is showtime. I think it's time to show me, show us, show everyone that you got Sammy Watkins, you got Tylen Wallace, you got Rashad Bateman. And of course, as Vaz is mentioning that offensive line, you know, Zeitler, an AFC North veteran, Villanueva, an AFC North veteran. They are also new. So you have to give them a little time to get acclimated. They haven't played together. They haven't played in this system before. So there could be some, some goose bumps early, some road bumps, some obstacles. But ultimately, you got Rashad, you got Shoddy B, you got Sammy, and you've got two backs that are kicking. And it's going to be, you know, that early, no weather is a factor time of the year. You have your first full preseason for guys like Prochet, for guys like Duvernay. So there's competition all around, and it's time to remove any excuses. The only one that people can have to cling to is, is the Greg Roman detractors. So uh, I anticipate if the, this offense does sputter for some reason, he is going to be put into like 180-degree boiling water by fans and media alike. Uh, that That is probably the pressure point if this team does not get off to a hot start, I would say, offensively. And I'm excited. I'm really excited. This is a team that now guys like Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews, Lamar Jackson, Gus Edwards, uh, even Bozeman we can throw in there. Boyle coming back as well. We'll see. But guys are, are young still, but they're also experienced. So they're reaching that peak, that prime over the next, you know, two, three years where it's time to, to capitalize on that. And hopefully they can separate themselves from the rest of the league. Yeah, I think for me, that's kind of what it comes down to is this idea that, it's an offense that even despite all their production and success they've had, it just feels like there's all these lingering questions, not only from the outside, which we've seen in the past with the Flacco offenses, but kind of from the inside as well, which was something we had seen in the past as well. But it just feels like there's a lot of divisiveness around, especially Greg Roman, a guy who, if he had been offensive coordinator during the Flacco era and produced what he had produced, like we would be talking about this guy like he's fucking Paul Brown. So like it's, <laughs> I, I think it's like kind of an interesting dichotomy there where Roman still kind of has to prove himself. You know, I've I've defended him, but he certainly uh, he's got his work cut out for him to um, kind of get himself back to where he needs to be and kind of get this offense back to where it needs to be because, frankly, it's not there with the passing. It's okay, 17th in DVOA, but that's not quite a Super Bowl uh, winning number for an offense in most years. So he's, uh, he's going to really have to uh, silence some doubters, like you said there, Spenny. So... I think it's, a, it's an interesting spot that they're in. I think we're going to be looking at it position by position uh, for each side of the ball. So are you guys ready to start with quarterbacks? Let's okay. do it. Sure. So Lamar Jackson, Trace McSorley slash Unitas, Tyler Huntley. I think those are the three guys that are going to, going to be in the mix here. So Lamar, obviously going to be the starter, uh, barring anything happening, knocking on wood right now. Um, returning after... A pretty decent 2020 season, I would say. Started off kind of slow, trying to some trying to force some things as far as trying to make himself a pocket passer, trying to do some things that were maybe not 100% natural to him. Gets COVID in a very weird twist of events, misses a game against the Steelers. The Ravens essentially have to punt on that game. Comes back, I believe they're at seven and six at that point, midway through the 2020 season. And uh, Spencer and I, I remember us having this conversation, I'm sure we did with you, Voss, at one point, that... It was time for Lamar to stop trying to force the whole pocket passer thing, trying to stop, make fetch happen and just cut it loose. And he does that, starts running all over the place that in turn improves his passing efficiency, carries the Ravens to the playoffs at 11 and five. But uh, 
Lamar Jackson returning as the Ravens starting quarterback. What are you hoping to see from him in training camp? We'll start there and then uh, we can maybe further it into a more macro discussion about this season. Confidence. I just want to see confidence, uh, decisiveness, and you want to see him start to grow as a leader as well as he already has taken some steps there. But the biggest struggles last year are, are games like the Pittsburgh Steelers game that Lamar did play in and that Titans regular season game where guys were open at times, especially Marquise Brown and Lamar was just not trusting his offensive line. He had a reason to, but same time, you know, the greats when their offensive line play starts to, to crumble around them a little bit, they'll still hang in there. They'll still be tough. They'll still get the job done when they need to, uh, you know, you can look at Patrick Mahomes and the valiant effort that he had, but that was a lot of running around. So uh, and I'm referring to the Super Bowl, but you got to you gotta hang in there. And, and the best way to negate offensive line struggles is to get the ball out quickly. So I think that getting a rapport with J.K. Dobbins and with Gus Edwards and Justice Hill going more than we've seen from anyone aside from Mark Ingram, who was a really reliable receiver for Lamar Jackson in his MVP season in 2019 – that's what I'd like to see. You want to see him let the thing fly. Uh, he can't get hit, but hopefully he just feels confident, looks confident, and takes that step forward with consistency in in his confidence. And I think he's got, you know, people knock his accuracy or whatever, whatever. But at the end of the day, if his feet are right, if he feels right, and he lets the ball go on time, he's going to be accurate. He's capable of it. He's shown it time and time again. So that's where I'm at with, uh, with LJ8. To a couple of your points there, sacked more times on less dropbacks in 2020 versus 2019. I had 29 on, uh, it looks like, 458, and then 23 on 471. Uh, and then his advanced passing numbers I had written down here, down across the board, but actually highest for his career in terms of his on-target percentage and his catchable passes that he threw. So, Voss, what are you looking for from LJ this training camp? Yeah, I'll pretty much echo what you guys said. You want to see a uptick in his accuracy outside the numbers and on the deep balls. That's something he's been working on and making, improving, you know, 5%, 10% every year. He's not going to be uh, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes accurate, but he doesn't need to be because of all the things he brings. Also pocket presence. I think he took a small step in the wrong direction as far as feeling the pressure in the pocket, when he could step up, when he could go outside and bailing on pockets last year more and also just how does he adjust to the little tweaks and the wrinkles and the slight recalibration of the offensive scheme greg roman wants more balance he said that he wants to see lamar under center more which i think can only help with the issues snapping the ball um and how does he do with some of the newer passing concepts so it is obviously a big year for lamar can he get just a little tick better here and there at the margins. That's all he really needs to do to elevate the team to the next step. The stat that caught my eye with his rushing was he rushed to the inside way more in 2020 than 2019. So I think it was 10 more 32 versus 22, which uh, I think that was kind of something to watch and funny to look back on because he had all those interior rushing touchdowns. He had the long ones against the NFC East. He had, I think one or two against the Browns. Uh, so he was definitely, you know, he was really good last year, I think it's fair to say, as far as the total package of passing and running. But you do want to see him continue to take those next steps as a passer and uh, just kind of being a little more consistent where he needs to be, being a little more comfortable throwing deep. And uh, I think he's going to be helped by the addition of the wide receivers and uh, the fixes along the offensive line, all of which we'll get to 
if you guys had a gun to your head and he's out for a game and you had to pick between one of these two backups to win a game, let's say against the Bengals, who are you picking? My gut says Trace McSorley, and I don't know what it is, but he seems to be able to put the ball in the right spot at the right time and take what defenses give him. Uh, We saw him excel in the preseason, but we haven't seen enough Tyler Huntley. Uh, I didn't attend any practices last year, and while practices and games, you know, McSorley really struggled in practice settings in 2019 from what we saw and then lights it up in the preseason as a great preseason and establishes himself. So uh, it's just tough because Huntley is going to be a better runner. And one of the, the lesser known things about McSorley is that back when he was at Penn state, he was God awful at reading the option at reading the key defender, the force defender to the point where they started putting Saquon Barkley quarterback and him at tailback. Which is sick. And it is so sick to, to take it out of his head and make sure that Saquon was able to do it. So, uh, you know, Trace just has that little enigma about him a little bit more so. Tyler Huntley's release and delivery are a little strange. A uh, big, big windup. I wouldn't call it, well, I guess I am going to call it kind of Tebow-esque. It's like this big looping motion. So I'm looking for him to... Make some improvement there, see if he can tighten that release up a little bit. But he's going to be the one who can run a lot better, a lot more effectively. He rolled off a couple big runs last year, and uh, it, was, it was tough. It was a shame they played that game in Buffalo where it was so windy because no one could hit the deep ball, and he had a couple open shots. So, you you know, you want to go, oh, well, he missed him. But Justin Tucker couldn't even kick a freaking field goal. So it was a, a tough game to go back and analyze and, and not in big enough sample size, but uh, I, I think my head's going to go with Huntley in the end, and I, I try to trust my brain. Boss, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to uh, also go with Huntley, probably not right now, but by the end of camp. He needs some more reps, I think. Um, he's a more explosive runner for sure, and he has better arm talent than McSorley. McSorley just doesn't have enough, doesn't put enough zip on the ball, really. And uh, Trace Unitas, I think – uh, Earl Morrill is a better – I think it should be Trace Morrill. I'm going to have to go with that from now on. <laughs> After listening to <laughs> oh, so, uh, Jake's podcast. So an MVP of the league is what you're saying? Exactly. But he was a backup that got thrust, and, and then he was the MVP, but but not quite the Unitas there. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, no, that was definitely – it started as a bit, the whole Trace Unitas thing, and then it kind of had a funny <laughs> a funny circle of life type thing. It also just rolls off the tongue, Trace Unitas. It does. Trace it, Unitas. It starts as a joke, of course. I get super invested into that whole, uh, you know, Johnny Unitas thing. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny how that works. But, yeah, Trace Morrill, okay. If it, if it comes to the point where, you know, God forbid we have to choose between him and Huntley and – Huntley wins, then listen, Huntley wins, and he's Trace Morrill. I'm going to I'm gonna stick with Trace here, though. I'm going to go a little straw man shocker here, and uh, I'm going to stick with him for, like Spenny said, his ability to put the ball where it needs to be, and then also, like, just the ability to, like, know where the sticks are and, like, pick them up when he needed to. Like, there were a couple moments where, like, a quarterback in his same position in his age, like, wouldn't know where to scramble against the Steelers like he did for that, I think, first on third and ten wouldn't kind of have the moxie, which is another overused word with him, frankly, to uh, put the ball on Hollywood Brown when he did. And then obviously a little bit lucky with Hollywood breaking free for the touchdown. But that's just kind of the whole trace experience, man. It just feels like it's a lot more than the sum of its parts. That's fair. I mean, the question to me is, are they going to end up taking three into the regular season? Because if you take three quarterbacks, that's either one less offensive lineman or your fullback slash tight end. I think if you had to choose and you're hoping to keep one on the practice squad 
I think you have a better chance of keeping Sorley there because Huntley does possess more upside. It's interesting. Interesting question. My, my, my final thought is I think if you need to win one game, have someone come in to relieve Lamar Jackson, like I feel like I go with Trace just because he has some weird ability. But Huntley as a long-term, you know, backup starter. Don't get me wrong. Better. Yeah, like Huntley is more talented, I think, pretty much across the board. But like for the one game question, like I do feel like there is something to like. There's just, there's just a little sparkle. There I'm a little bit. Something. I'm a little bit of an old school romantic when it comes to my analysis sometimes. And there's just something about the the it factor argument that I think Trace does have, which, you know, maybe there is something scientific to that. And the fact that he played in all these big games in the Big Ten with Penn State. So, you know, there might be something there. Looked like a first round pick after his freshman year. Listen, I, you know, so did Christian Hackenberg. That, you know, I probably, I didn't have to throw that out <laughs> hey, there. Hey, I did. hey, he, he went in the second round, okay? Fair, fair. Did he, he, he hacked it. He hacked it. Yeah, good for hack. All right, is that all you guys got on quarterbacks? Yes. Yeah. Running backs are up next. So per our lads, running back depth chart of the Baltimore Ravens, maybe their best because they have J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, Todd Gurley, Justice Hill, and Tyson Williams. <laughs> Shout out Tyson Williams. Shout out to our lads for the incorrect depth chart there. Not sure why Todd Gurley is listed, but I believe that fake Sports Center tweet must have got somebody's neck. They put it on there and then they just never went back and fixed it. But he was listed on there, so you know I, I didn't write anything down for him. But just in case, maybe the lads know something we don't. Right? Listen, right, they might. They're, they're, the thing is, there are lads though, so they would tell us. I, I they would. <laughs> they would tell us. So I got a note for each J.K. Dobbins. Despite limited action, he broke 28 tackles in 2020, good for a percentage of 20.9, which is five points higher than Derrick Henry's percentage. For Gus Edwards, I had he picked up exactly 45 first downs each in the last two seasons while running to the outside less than 10 times each, which is kind of funny, 2019 and 2020, 45 first downs. Uh, Justice Hill on just 12 carries, he had a yards per carry average of five. Two explosive runs in 2020, just 12 carries, so pretty impressive. And then Tyson Williams, still totally not sure how to pronounce it, but I'm, let's just say Tyson. Uh, give him one to two years, and he has the talent to outplay a lot of the draft picks at the position. That's from Matt Waldman. So what is your guys' initial thoughts, hearing all those notes and looking at this depth chart, which may or may not include Todd Gurley via the lads? My question is how much more zone the Ravens are going to run because I do believe that J.K. Dobbins is best when he has cutback lanes. I think that Gus Edwards is also capable of excelling that way. He has shown some really nasty jump cuts and able to kind of skate back inside. So I, I think that that's going to be an element that comes back that was more so in 2019, and we might even see a, a larger – split of zone than we've seen before in Greg Roman's offense. Villanueva points to that. I think that Zeitler points to that. I think that, you know, Cleveland does not, but ultimately, you know, Bradley Bozeman, you're expecting to be able to reach a little bit better than guys like Matt Skur and Pat McCarry and Bozeman should be able to vote a little better in there and make some plays. Stanley, I think is best suited as a, as a zone type guy. So the Ravens traditionally run a ton of power, right? I think that kind of started with Marshall Yonda being such a great down blocker and wanting to run to that gap where it was Orlando Brown and Marshall Yonda. And Bradley Bozeman was better suited as a puller than someone who was down blocking. So that got a little split. So we might see a little bit of a flip of that where Stanley is going to be a more dominant if he returns to health, which we all are assuming. More dominant uh, point of attack blocker than Alejandro Villanueva. 
And Cleveland is probably better suited to be down blocking than to be working in space. And, and I know a lot of people like his ability to pull, but I don't think his uh, asking him to be nimble is the best use of Ben Cleveland. I would rather see him on some combos and uh, some down blocks and crashing and trying to collapse some areas there. So I think that is a, a big difference. And I think that's going to help J.K. Dobbins even more so, who really is just a second-level nightmare in the open field for linebackers, for safeties, for corners. He has such great contact balance. Gus Edwards has been able to break so many tackles as well. So these backs I'm really excited for, and and ultimately Justice Hill you think is going to end up factoring in there. It's unlikely that both Edwards and Dobbins both play 16 games. So you got to think Justice Hill is having a couple games of you know, 10, 12, 15 touches at some point, more likely than not. And I'm excited to see what he can do as well. He showed a ton of juice in that Steelers game and, uh, you know, they they were both – or Justice Hill was very successful in that role, and, and we'll see what happens with the RB4 situation and how many they end up keeping. It feels unlikely, you know, probably keeping Mason and Ricard that that's the case, but it's uh, going to be exciting to see how well these these two lead backs can take it and run with it, literally. Voss, as a noted uh, anti-running back value guy, uh, what do you think looking at this group of guys? I think it's a really strong – group i think it's a championship caliber running back room i don't see the need for todd Gurley whatsoever even if it's a couple million i think that's a waste of cap space or future cap space the one-two punch of dobbins and edwards i mean they're they're very very strong they get the job done uh, dobbins with that contact balance as you mentioned spencer that's really his calling card um and Gus just always falling forward, short yardage, fourth quarter finisher type. I'm interested to see Justice Hill, his involvement as a receiver, because coordinator Roman has mentioned that they want to get the backs more involved. That's kind of what he was drafted as out of Oki State. Um, he's got some elusiveness. It just seems, I don't know, they just haven't been able to really spring him or open. And then Williams, I think, is also probably going to have a pretty good preseason, I would imagine. And he's going to be one of those preseason darlings. And he's going to be really, really solid P-squad depth that, if caught in action, will average, you know, four or five yards a carry, just like every other back they've put in this system since Lamar has taken on, under gone under center. So is it worth kind of belaboring the points or do we just kind of make the determination is this the best position group on the team or do you guys have anything else in mind corner yeah i was i was immediately going to jump to corner as well and and we neglected to mention nate mccrary out of saginaw valley state who uh went to a pro day at central michigan the ravens picked him up and he's kind of a analytics darling and he was a man amongst boys at the level he was at so i think him and tyson williams are getting a ton of reps in the preseason mccrary ran a 437 and a four a 4.37 and a 4.42, 36-inch vertical, 10.5 broad jump, had a 4.06 20-yard shuttle, which is nasty, and 19 reps, 2.25. So he's a, another wild card. And um, I'm, I'm just going through some of the SIS metrics here and a couple fun ones that come to mind. There's one called design gap, which is how often a runner goes to the play design. You know, if the, the if you're running a, a midline zone and you're attacking that, that C gap or that B gap on an inside zone, they went there as opposed to deviating. Lamar Jackson, actually number one in the NFL of all players with 100 carries last year, 94% of the time. Uh, Nick Chubb, Damian Harris. So J.K. Dobbins was seventh in that. So that goes a little bit against what I was saying maybe, but but he followed the script very much so, 77.6% of the time. He hit the hole. That was seventh among all players with 100 carries. 
And Gus Edwards was actually down towards 46th with 61.8. So he was in the bottom six of backs hitting their designed gap, uh, which which I was mentioning some of those cutbacks. So that, that actually shocked me a little bit to see. Edwards also hit at the line 31.3% of the time, but only had a 13.2% stuff rate. And that was good for seventh in the NFL. Dobbins good for eighth. So uh, these guys had some, some really fun metrics as well, looking at their war. Uh, <laughs> Gus Edwards actually had a higher war as a runner than Lamar Jackson did, which shocked me on less carries. Uh, his war was a 0.6. Yeah, but what is it good JK- for, though? What'd you say? Yeah, but what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> and then the uh, the final one was points earned per play, and that was Gus Edwards in fourth, Lamar Jackson in fifth, and J.K. Dobbins in ninth. Three runners in the top ten that are earning the most points per play. So uh, this really is such a dangerous rushing attack, and I think that goes to show maybe how kind of crappy the offensive line was and how great those guys were despite yeah, third in rush DVOA versus seventeenth uh, in pass, and that's something that we're going to get into in the offensive line. But it's interesting how good they were in that regard because, uh, yeah, like you mentioned, like the offensive line could have been a lot better, but they were still really damn good. I think probably partially the Lamar effect there helping them out a little bit, as you allude to often, boss. That yeah. and then Greg, I'm sorry, Greg Roman started calling those those veers and those those motion utility where he's just not even using his offensive line and just getting the back in space. I think you could put a whole lot of offensive linemen and running backs uh, beside and in front of Lamar in Greg Roman's scheme, and it would be effective. It's uh, it really is. They they drive the sister the the linchpin in the middle of the wheel that are that are making everything else spin. So what are we? Boz, looking- how do you feel about these two particular backs and their value now? For what you're saying and what you've seen from them. How do you feel regarding, you know, these two guys at the prices that they paid? Obviously, you know, you weren't thrilled with the the second round pick of Dobbins, but now considering you've got Edwards on a very cheap contract and, uh, you know, Dobbins is one of the more successful players from his draft class. I mean, it remains to be seen, to be honest with you, because Alex Collins uh, had a pretty good year. I mean, a lot of different guys, I think, can be effective in the system. I'm, I'm Perfectly content with the Dobbins pick at this point because they finally addressed receiver. That was always the reason why I was against it at first. Uh, because I think, well, we'll get to receivers later. Um, Edwards, his contract, I think, was right at the top of where he'd be willing to pay. The thing is, you can't have everything, right? So why not take advantage of the strengths that your quarterback and your scheme provide? Um, so, yeah, these guys are cheap right now. If Dobbins, if two two years from now they're going to pay Dobbins eight million a year, I think that'd be a mistake because I don't think that ever works out for big money second contracts for running backs. But for right now, they're in that Goldilocks zone as you were talking about. They're young, they have enough experience, but they're still in the athletic prime, and that's what you want to continue to cycle through with the running back position, in my opinion. So, what are we looking for from the running back position overall in training camp? I would stay love healthy. to see. Yeah, stay healthy. Uh, don't put J.K. Dobbins in games. Don't put Gus Edwards in games. Like, st- stupid too, I think, pretty much. And I'm sure they want to get a couple touches, but I, I really just don't want them to. Is Tupac going ape shit in the background? Is that? Yeah, okay. I muted myself. 
He's he's been going ham. I guess there's a fox out there, a deer out there, or something. So there you go. There's a little background noise, ladies and germs. Okay. It's just so a- good. Well, while we're talking about running backs, I like having dogs barking in the background. The uh, I think I'll go. Let's see how they. What does that mean? How, no, it just gives it a little, you know, a little good vibe to it, a little little attitude. To it. Okay. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't. I'm honestly, I'm surprised you didn't start barking. When we get to Brandon Williams, you're probably going to jump through the screen. <laughs> but what were you saying? No, I want to see how the running backs, I mean, again, how are they going to be incorporated into the receiving game? And that's not necessarily for preseason, but that is for practice. And they want to build up that chemistry and have Lamar looking to them more and catching the ball and, and displaying more consistent short hands, especially J.K. He had a couple drops last year. Gus came on as a receiver last year. He Gus has improved every year as a receiver. And as far as training camp goes, like, and what to look for in preseason, like, I think back to the 2018 preseason and the how great Gus looked in that entire preseason. I mean, like, he had a big game against the Dolphins, I remember. I don't know why I remember preseason games, but I do. Him and Lamar had a big game against the Dolphins together, and it was kind of like, yeah, this guy Edwards, like. He didn't make the team at first. Yeah, no. he, he runs a little upright. Like, you know, he he's maybe a, an exciting prospect in some respects. He, he had like a 30 or 40-yard run on the left sideline against the Dolphins, I think. Yeah, then Lamar had a long touchdown run as well. So it was kind of like, yeah, it's just kind of like an exciting little preseason pairing. But he winds up catching on and becoming one of the better running backs uh, in the league. So it's, it's going to be interesting to watch, I think, Williams, McCrary, like you mentioned. And uh, maybe, hopefully, Justice Hill can finally catch on or you know, S or get off the pot here. Um, so is that all we got on running backs? I'm trying to look at uh, what their their war was as receivers last year, and I have a feeling that it was not very good. They didn't score a lot of touchdowns. They didn't make huge splashes. And no. For so just while you're looking that up, on Justice, I think he can be – he could be potentially a lead back or a number two back with better vision. That's what he's kind of missing. But I think his special teams ability as a gunner, especially, pretty much assures him a spot as the third running back. For sure, for sure. They love him on special teams. So Gus Edwards led the Ravens with 5.19 points earned, uh, which was, let's see, 28th in the NFL, 26th in the NFL. The rest of them were abysmal in comparison. Uh, I guess Gus just had, you know, some, some of those wide open checkdowns. And that goes in, in, in hand with kind of tipping your hat with what back is in the backfield, maybe giving an idea to run, pass, or, you know, if Justice Hill's in there on third and five, got to think they're probably throwing the ball, I would imagine, you know, more so than if, if Gus Edwards is in there. So I would like to see, as Vaz mentioned, them just be a little bit more balanced. I think J.K. Dobbins is a hell of a receiver. I, he did have a couple drops against the Bills in that weird game, but I think he has a ton, a ton of skill as a receiver. Saw a lot from him at Ohio State. And I, I feel like he's going to take a huge, huge, huge leap there. But it's more on Lamar to kind of get them the ball, which he doesn't seem to love to do. He likes to scramble as opposed to check down a bit at times or just try and use Mark Andrews on some quick routes. So uh, none of those guys had really any impact at all other than Gus Edwards. J.K. Dobbins earned 1.89 points, and the rest were either slightly negative or uh, you know less than a point. So. Interested to see how that progresses, and I think that a lot of that has to do with Lamar and developing some some cadence and rhythm there. Okay, so is that all we got on RBs? RBs. Moving yes. on. Offensive line, everyone's favorite. Cole, I know you're listening. It's your favorite. <laughs> Left or right? 
Ronnie Stanley starts at left tackle. Foster Sorrell listed as the backup left tackle. Tyree Phillips, the third stringer, left guard. They still have Bradley Bozeman listed as a starter. Ben Cleveland as the number two. Ben Bredesen as the number three left guard. At center, they have Patrick McCarry listed as a starter. Tristan Colon Castillo as the uh, number two. Greg Mannix as the third right guard. Kevin Zeitler starts. Ben Powers, number two. Michael Schofield, number three. Right tackle, Alejandro Villanueva, obviously starting. Jawan James listed as the number two, not going to be playing this year in all likelihood. Andre Smith is the number three, remember him. And Adrian Ely as the fourth at right tackle. Uh, so I wrote down a unit much more tilted towards run blocking than pass blocking. I kind of already alluded to that, but they were eighth in adjusted line yards, but 23rd in adjusted sack rate in the league. And uh, so I guess we can start here with the uh, the main story with Bradley Bozeman, I wrote a consistently decent left guard in 2020, 62 and a half uh, pass grade uh, per PFF, 63.3 in run, uh, in their run grading, and in week eight, so the bye week, what do you guys think the conversation surrounding his move to center is going to be? Can they afford to pay him? I agree. So you alluded, Spenny, to the fact that this might be a lot more of an expensive situation than we initially maybe would have thought, or even that I just thought with Bradley Bozeman. Yeah, I think that Bradley Bozeman's, uh, from some whispers I've heard, it, it sounds like he's he's asking a little more than they're willing. And I do think that Bozeman has been a weak point on this offensive line in several games, especially against guys like Cam Hayward and in some other particular matchups. Going back to you know that Titans game in the divisional round loss in 2020. So... I think that, you know, fans got a little carried away with him at times. And, and you know, he's great when he's pulling. And a lot of people, you know, see him making blocks on linebackers. But I like him better as a, a center. And especially considering who the Ravens have had at center and what type of body types they've had and what type of uh, athletes have been there. He is by far the most, you know, physically imposing, I would think. I am questionable to see how he deals with extremely stout nose tackles, you know, uh, I'm guess I'm thinking of, uh, Stefan to and I'm trying to think who else they'll play this year. Oh no, they don't play Tennessee. No, they're, they're going to play Tyler Shelvin on the Bengals, who I feel like is going to be sneakily a really good player for them at three forty, especially against the run. So I'm curious to see how he can hold up in one-on-ones against noses he might have a really strong quickness advantage, but some of those guys are freaks. I mean, a guy that I studied a ton of Lee McNeil, I mean, he was the first guy out of his stance every time he's got that leverage and it's a little, a little different. So I, I think he might have some, some grit there a little more so than having to deal with a more, let's say finesse athlete, like a Cam Hayward, as opposed to some of these, these one tech zero tech kind of guys. But I think he's better suited at center. I think he's a natural center. He played it in college and get the snaps over. And, and when you look at Skuro, when you look at Makari, when you look at, uh, you know, Gradkowski years ago, they were really tiny guys. And it's just funny because the Ravens have been vocal about, we want, you know, these massive wingspan having space eating linemen, but at center, you've, you've had these really smaller side, you know, Matt Skura is not, and I'm not trying to slight Matt Skura, but if you see him in the street, you're not thinking, damn, that's an NFL player. I think you see Bozeman and you're like, all right. So I think he's just got a little more size, frankly. And I'm excited to see what he can do there. Uh, Bozeman had an adjusted blown block rate of 1.8% with in past situations, which was, let's see, I think 
fourth on the team behind Macari, Stanley, and yeah, Macari and Stanley was third. So excited to see what he can do there and how he can he can run with it. And it feels like that was his natural position. They made him learn something new, and it might have taught him some things and provided him some better skills to be more well-rounded as a center. Yeah, I think Bozeman is going to end up being a top center center in the league by the end of the season. I don't think there's going to be a lot of problems with the snaps. I think he's going to do well calling out the protections. He seems like to be a cerebral, heady kind of player. Played center for Alabama, obviously a national championship team. And I think having two big boys on each side of him is going to help. And they can start mashing some heads on the interior, which they haven't been able to do in a long time. Uh, I, I do wonder how his – if he, they're still going to be utilized to pool because centers don't pool very often. But uh, I think Roman mixed some of that in towards the end of the second half of last season. Uh, but even if he's just going to bring that anchor, I think he can hold up to the bull rush and maybe they can use some combination blocking against the really freaky guys. But uh, I think it was a great move. We were talking about this at that – "Quote unquote offsite podcast way back when with uh, with KB and we were both saying or we were all saying Bozeman should go to center so that's what they did I think it's a smart move and I think it will improve the line all the way across the board yeah I think it was the only move I think this is a move that you know it, it needed to be made given the fact that they've had so many struggles at center going back all the way to Ryan Jensen and then him leaving obviously that proving to be a little bit of a uh, maybe I wouldn't say a misstep by the front office, but would have been nice to keep him around. And now you're bringing up a guy who not the exact same profile as Jensen, but kind of a similar story. This unheralded guy who's uh, kind of working his way up and uh, a total Harbaugh guy. Bozeman just got that, you know, kind of way about him. Very genuine kind of Southern dude. So I think he's a guy that they like a lot. I think he's a guy that they're going to want to pay, but there's only so much money to go around. So that's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. But I think him kind of, moving to center and then starting to price himself out of what they initially would have wanted to pay him. That might actually be a good problem to have, especially for a team that's got a championship window uh, here, but uh, to his left, uh, Ben Cleveland, is he too big to fail? Eventually. I just, I just don't see him being a weak. I just don't see him being a weakness. I don't see him being a problem. And I'd, I also don't count out Tyree Phillips from winning that contest and becoming the left guard. I think that, one of the more underrated, I guess, oddities of last year was him starting week one, considering how, considering number one, he switched positions and then started in his rookie year. How, correct me if I'm wrong, fellas. I mean, how many offensive linemen in the past decade have, have started in week one as a rookie for the Ravens? Stanley? Who Grubs, else? Maybe Grubs. That was over a decade. But yeah, that, that was over, over a decade ago. No, you're right. Yana didn't start. Uh, Orlando Brown didn't start. Did Jared, o- did Jared Gaither didn't, did he? Jared Gaither might have. Yeah, that was, he was that a was supplemental longer. guy. Osemele, yeah, I, you are supplemental. I, I don't yeah. think Osemele started his first game. I, I can't recall. He no, might have shuffled that I line. I think Osemele did. I think Osemele he did. did. I think he did. Yeah, because they. I remember he went out in 2013, and it was a huge deal to get him back in 2014. So he must have gotten significant action as a rookie in 2012. Right. So there you go. I mean, it's been years since someone has come in and started, aside from Ronnie Stanley, which is a little. I mean, you're picking him in the top ten of the draft to be a left right. tackle. So a little different situation and. I think that expresses how much they like him. And they kept giving him chances and kept giving him chances. And it seems like they expected him to struggle, but we're still confident enough for him to get the job done. And 
Phillips did have, you know, the second worst blown block rate on run plays, but on pass plays, he was, you know, a little below average. And I think I'm, I'm not discounting him, but it just becomes a conversation of, uh, is he going to be the swing tackle? Or are they going to try him there instead? He has the length. He fits that threshold. I've mentioned so many times of height, length, and a couple other measurables. So interested there, but Ben Cleveland, I just, the only time I saw him struggle on tape in college was when it was just someone who had incredible lateral quickness and the defense kind of really spread the offensive line out, got them into some wide splits. And he was never missing, you know, he never missed his assignment, but some sometimes occasionally guys would beat him. And Georgia didn't throw the ball a ton and, and runs the ball very much so. And he was a dominant run blocker. So I just don't see him being a weakness. And the way that Harbaugh talked about him, you you got to think that he's got every chance to, to go in there. And uh, it just feels like Ben Powers is on the back end of that trust tree or i guess at the at the bottom of it so it's it's a strange situation but i don't i'm just not counting out tyree phillips i don't i don't know what it was that made them want to start him so badly but they sure did i think they didn't have any other options really it was fluker i mean it wasn't well they had powers yeah they had powers that's true they made him they made him earn a spot and he was drafted and start we skirt started week one too right Skura did start, yeah. Oh, look, they they put him over Makari, who they clearly like a lot. They put him over Powers, who I don't think they like a lot. And then, yeah, over Fluker. So uh, it was was interesting. I personally think they need to park Phillips at tackle and let him learn the nuance of the position at the pro level because uh, third offensive tackle is one of the potential Achilles heel of the team that's currently constructed. And one of the best things about the Villanueva signing, in my view, they paid up for him. But I think his experience as a left tackle makes it worth it. So if Stanley is not ready or if Stanley misses a game or two like he usually does, he's not the most dependable guy. Villanueva goes to the left side and you feel pretty, pretty confident there. But you need a right tackle. And I think Phillips is really the only guy um, – who has that ability right now, that's, that's, there are still a couple vets out there and I don't know what they're looking for, but there are a couple, you know, serviceable, decent guys, but right to the entire offense, right tackle or backup tackle, swing tackle is the biggest concern in my view right now. Yeah. And Phillips is, you know, with the heavy feet, that might not totally be his thing. And I think kind of parking him at tackle, trying to get him to learn the nuances might be a thing, but he, you know, he got at bats, which is big for this front office, particularly with offensive line. Ozzie used to always talk about how it's good for young guys to get in there, make mistakes, learn from them, which is a good advice for life, not just football. But uh, it's interesting. I think the the disparity with the efficiency numbers in the offense kind of came down to struggles on the offensive line. Like I mentioned, 17th in passing DVOA, third in rush DVOA. It just feels like an entirely, or at least at times, it felt like an entirely different game they were playing when they chose to pass versus chose to run. I think a lot of it did come down to missing Stanley when they did, which is going to be huge. You know, obviously a big storyline. We're not going to see him in the preseason at all, nor should we. And uh, I think him coming back in week one, I doubt that's a guarantee. You've got uh, the moves being made along the interior. That's, you know, all very interesting. But a lot of forgotten men in the mix, too. I mean, Ben Bredesen, a guy a lot of people were excited about. Cole, who we've mentioned here a couple times now, respect his opinion a lot. And he loved Ben Bredesen out of Michigan. Kind of feeling like a forgotten man at this point. You got Michael Schofield, who's bounced around. Uh, in the mix, Greg Mannix has bounced around as well. So some some interesting names here to keep an eye on for the preseason at the very least. That's why this preseason is like the most exciting in maybe preseason history because 
Imagine how much we would have, how much more we would have known about Tyree Phillips or Ben Bredesen. We don't, we don't know anything about Ben Bredesen because there was no preseason and we haven't seen him except for when he comes in jumbo packages. So we're going to get some sort of idea of, of what he's able to do. And uh, if he's able to go bump some uglies out there and uh, take care of those big boys. So it's, it's going to be an interesting situation nonetheless. And I think it's great for this offensive line and those younger guys to get those reps let Tyree Phillips get some tackle reps. Let him get some guard reps. We watched Patrick McCarry the year before earn himself a roster spot because he played all five spots in one game. And I mean, the guy's not tall enough or whatever, but he can go play right tackle if you want. And he's not horrible. So uh, this preseason is going to be huge for this offensive line especially those young guys. Uh, this is going to be a huge preseason because they're defending an undefeated streak in the preseason in case you forgot. <laughs> it's true. I mean, you're, you're making fun, but it's also like true. Like, yeah, I, I like that. What shit. are they? Are they 20, you know, at this point? Odds, odds they lose a game this preseason. There's only two. I'm going to, I think there's no way that they're going to be able to go undefeated in the preseason. John Harbaugh hasn't played a preseason chance. game in oh, two I years. Think they will. If you think, think you think they're, this gonna, is the Ravens culture. They get a bunch of guys. They're the deepest, like, you know, they have depth on depth, and they try hard. That's John Harbaugh, and that's all Harbaugh, man. I if, think they're going to go undefeated for the preseason, like, for the next, like, eight years in a row. If you think John Harbaugh took a year off preseason and is going to come back just with his dick in his hand and, like, not go all out balls to the wall with his, like, 90th roster, you know, guys, and just say, like, go out there and win this thing for the Gipper, then I don't know if you know <laughs> my guy, John Harbaugh. I have a question for John Harbaugh if I ever talk to him, and it's would if I could tell you you have you have red pill, blue pill. The red pill is that I guarantee that you you win your uh, home opener this year, and the blue pill is that I guarantee you will win every preseason game as long as you coach in the NFL forever. I want to know what twenty fucking takes. He's going to be mentioning the preseason thing in his Hall of Fame speech. Hundred percent, hundred percent. That's gonna be like his crowning achievement in his eyes. Jim's just gonna be sitting there pissed off, like I'm such a better fucking coach than him. I can't believe his name. <laughs> Adjusting his hat, like doing the gym thing. But all right, gentlemen, offensive line. Any parting thoughts? Uh, yeah. So break just to break down a couple of these guys. Juwan James is potentially an interesting uh, decision because in order to put him on the IRD. He doesn't need it to return DTR. He has to be on the 53 initially. Um, so I don't know. He popped his Achilles in May. I don't know if he's coming back in December or not. Schofield moving on to other tackle options. He does have 18 starts at right tackle at the NFL level. So somebody to keep an eye on. And then on the interior, it's Cleveland or Powers. I wouldn't be surprised if Powers started the first three, four games, and then Cleveland took over. Either way, I think you want to keep Powers around. 17-game season, you're going to need some depth at some point. And Powers uh, is – I think Powers at this point in his career is just like a a confident backup. He's serviceable. He's serviceable. He's a good that's, backup. That's the word. I think serviceable epitomizes He's a low-tier starter and, and a backup, and a good backup. Yeah, McCarty definitely has a roster spot due to his – you know, four or five position versatility. There's not a lot of guys in the league that can do all those positions. And then I think it's Cologne versus Bredesen for the final spot, potentially. Bredesen with those shorter arms, maybe he is the backup center, uh, potentially. Uh, Cologne, has he reshaped his body? Because he kind of has at least technique, but he wasn't in great shape, at least looked that way last year. One of those guys could possibly be trade bait. I wouldn't be surprised if they get a 
fifth or a sixth or a seventh for the last offensive lineman that doesn't make the cut. Spenny, any parting thoughts? Uh, Kevin Zeitler was 41st in adjusted blown blocks out of almost 200 offensive linemen that played at least 100 snaps last year. Excuse me, how many is it? Uh, exactly 200 is the list I have. So out of 200 that played at least 100 snaps, he was 41st in adjusted blown blocks as a run blocker. And as a pass protector, he would have finished first on the Ravens. And he was all of 21st in the NFL. So you're talking about, you know, if, if you put one guy from each team, he would have been the guy for the Ravens last year. Did they used to call a frat row at College Park a blown block? Yeah, that's... <laughs> That's 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 uh that's that's what gets people going. All right, tight end up next. What do you guys think about this tight end group? <laughs> is if my first question is is Ben Mason a tight end? No. No, I well, I guess he is cuz we already did running backs, right? Well, you didn't do we didn't do right card either. Yeah, we didn't really talk about him. I'm I mean, just those, let, those guys get their like own position, I guess. Just yeah. just rename the whole group tight ends and fullbacks. Va- together. Voss, if you're ta- if you're if you're telling me Voss that I missed fullbacks, then yeah, I don't know what's going on here. I threw you a bone there and here we are. <laughs> no, I think the they're they're all kind of interchangeable. All the fullbacks and tight ends. It's spending had the the four horsemen, that was the thing two years ago. I think we should just rename the, the group horsemen and, and include both of them. So is that a new position? Yes, horseman. Okay. So for now, yeah, I, I like it. I like that very, very much. So tight end slash horseman. <laughs> well, we're talking Marky Andrews. He improved as a as a blocker overall last year. Uh, you know, had a couple bully some moments on some DBs that Colts game, and uh, there was one against the Patriots as well. So had some had some nice moments as a blocker. He wants to be well rounded. He went to the tight end summit, which looked fucking sick. If I could go to any summit, it would easily be the tight end summit. Is there going to be any content coming out of that, like a, a vlog or anything? Because I would watch that. They, they definitely posted YouTube videos, and they had a very active Instagram. Okay. Very check active it out. Instagram. I, I, watched, I watched some content out of there. But it's, uh, it's you know, Mark Andrews continuing to make that progression into a, a very well-balanced receiver. And the person who – benefits from the Ravens offseason the most aside from aside actually even maybe more so than Lamar Jackson is Mark Andrews it has to be because he commanded an unbelievable concentration from every single defense every single week luckily teams would decide to run some some cover one or some cover zero and and try and blitz at times and he was able to get some Y crosses and things like that but had a nice year I uh, went back through. I was a little critical of him at one point, and I don't think he's this big 50-50 ball guy necessarily, but he has really strong concentration in, let's say, tight windows. Um, so that was that was something I went back through and was more impressed with, the, the, with than I initially thought. Him getting less attention means that he can become maybe a little bit more of a yak threat again, where he was so dynamic in 2019 and 2018 after the catch. So uh, Andrews, I'm really excited for. I thought that he had a tough year last year a little bit. That Chiefs game was really rough, and uh, he, he had a couple of rough moments, but overall was able to make plays and do it when they needed it to, especially late in the season and, and always being that safety valve for Lamar. And I just think he's generally going to benefit from Watkins and Bateman and uh, the, the the benefited offensive line and, and a little bit better Lamar Jackson. So I think he's the number one beneficiary. So, we'll I, call him. so I wrote this down. Um, 
my question here, like we know all about him, right? Like you just kind of summed it all up really well. My question is, what does this offense look like without him? And how does that thought experiment kind of affect his contract negotiations here? Because he's kind of on the hook too. I would, if I'm, if I'm the Ravens and I'm having talks without him, like talking about him in a closed door setting, I'm like, we can, we can, I mean, they can find someone else that can be a good tight end, but he is a rock star in this offense. This, uh, this, why did the Ravens and everyone in Ravens flock or not everyone, a lot of people try to penny pinch so much. All these other teams have, you know, the championship teams have six, eight, ten cornerstone contract players on their team. Why can the Ravens only afford a quarterback and a tackle and that's it, you know? I, I that it, it kind of uh it's it's like it, really it's, weird kind of pride. It's like their has, roster construction philosophy. It's like we'd rather have ten special teams guys making a million dollars a year than a Pro Bowl tight end making ten million dollars a year. I don't get that. It doesn't make any sense to me. They have the fifth most cap space, or they're up around the top next year. The cap's about to skyrocket for TV deals. They can pay whoever they want to pay. I don't think they should pay Andrews more than 14, 15 million a year. And I am expecting him to have a big year. But this constant doom and gloom that the cap is going to take all your players, it just uh, it doesn't make sense to me. Ozzy was backloading everything. For years and years and years, Lamar bailed them out of that situation. They have flexibility. They can pay who they want to play, you know? Cap's going up, too, anyway. Like, it's going TV up deals like coming in. Yeah, in the next two years, it's going to be a whole different ball game. So that's why, you know, getting Lamar signed quickly is big. That's why, get, you know, pay, pay, have, more, have my Andrews set the fucking market for the tight ends. Who cares? Tight end's not even that high, highly paid of a position. I, are you mad if, if he sets the market? I'm not. I don't think it's great value, but if that's what they have to do, then it's fine. They, one, what's one or two million dollars more than what you think is Jordan Richards and Jelly Ellis? Well, you can sacrifice those two players to make it work. Absolutely, He's, I completely concur, and I think Andrews is is well worth paying. He's the best tight end I think I've ever watched in a Ravens uniform. Hmm. I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure. putting him over heap yet. Yeah, I, and honestly, I uh, he's Shannon Sharp was a different breed, but Look, yeah, he that, sure that is. was very short lived. Very short lived. He sure is a different breed. Um, <laughs> R.I.P. Oh, oh, to Tarzan, aka Suggs. Yeah, listen, we love Shannon on the show. R.I.P. <laughs> to his R.I.P. to his dog. His dog passed away. R.I.P. Absolutely, um, Tarzan. Tarzan Sharp. It's it's between Andrews and Heap, definitely. And um, I probably, if I were a little bit older, I might prefer Heap, but. Um, Andrews is the he, man. He I think, was like. the passing offense for a couple of years. No, he was, up. and he deserves yeah. he deserves all the credit. And it's unfortunate he never got a ring. Um, I love Heath. Very unfortunate, but he had the same kind of attention that that Andrews had last year for a long time. You remember the uh, Brandon Merriweather spear in the helmet game? I think he so. used to get England. wrecked. He would get he wrecked speared and then, three times in one game. He would, and then they finally threw him out of the game. Yeah, that was Brandon. God, Brandon Merriweather was such a fucking menace. But yeah, he would do. God, he would do like quarter he was. Zone. He was he, good. He was real good. He would do a quarter zone shot like four times a year. You're he not was always playing hurt. Always playing hurt. But you know, Andrews, top five. Hawkinson might be joining that and and kind of rounding that group out. I think Goddard is maybe slightly overrated, but Andrews has been saying top five his whole life, and that. 
sweet little story. I think it was Hensley. I can't remember exactly what it was. Someone posted about how he's just said he's always top five at everything and it's a top five tight end. So he's worth franchise tag money anyway. And yeah, maybe they tag, tag him. Yeah, tag him. The tag's cheap for tight ends. I, anyway, I, I echo what Spencer said. You know, he's going to benefit everyone on the entire offense and the entire team is going to benefit from having better receivers. Um, and I do want to see more yards after the catch. That was the tight end yards after the catch was cut almost in half from 19 to 20. So that's a big place for improvement. But I am expecting a big contract year from Andrews. And I, at least I think double-digit touchdowns. And he's, he's going to continue to be Lamar's go-to guy, but he's going to have a little bit more space and freedom now with new he's guys. He's going to be getting some outside. one-on-ones. Yeah. Uh, I think I think a lot of Lamar's post-snap reads are going to be, are they doubling Mark Andrews? Is is there extra attention on Mark Andrews? And if not, the ball is going to go there a lot. Absolutely. So uh, re-sign Mark Andrews because... Guess what? Grows the economy. Benefits <laughs> everybody. Hurts nobody. Benefits everybody, <laughs> hurts nobody. Sign Mark Andrews. Quick question. Is is Mark Andrews who who gets signed first? Lamar or Mark Andrews? Lamar. I think Lamar. I don't know if they signed either of them this year. And I don't know if it makes sense to either. Because what is the honestly, what is the this is the conversation for a different show, but how much of a discount do you get for signing them a year early? A lot. Like who okay. Not if the for, cap's gonna jump, Vaz, if the cap's gonna jump dollars. a lot. How much did you save signing Stanley early? How much did you save signing Humphrey early? How much did you save signing Tavon Young early? I don't think so. I think it's, I think it's two, three mil a year. I think For more than which one? They're both number two, second highest paid. Yeah, but, but position exactly. But look when the next guy gets signed and sets the market. That's the difference. No, Ramsey went after uh, Marla, didn't he? No, I don't think so. But Ramsey's number one and Marlowe's – anyway, yeah. I don't know. I, sometimes I think you're better to – for the top-end guys, I think there's – The thing no, is, though, tight end nowhere, doesn't – tight end just doesn't matter as much because it's not – they're not paid as much. There's nowhere they – there's no – they can't make much more than they're already making. For middle-of-the-road guys, it makes sense to sign them early. For Stanley and Humphrey and Lamar and Andrews, they're going to get paid top dollar – Regardless, so I don't know what you really benefit from. There's nowhere to go but down sometimes. I I don't think that's the case just because the cap is going to like especially because of this COVID cap situation. You know, let next year the the floor goes up a ton, let's say, and everything's back to normal. You know, fans are back in stands, everything's healthy. The NFL feels like it's doing really, 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 really well again. There's lots of young superstars. And I think if you can get Lamar, I mean, if you can get Lamar before you can get Allen and Mayfield, whoever you, whoever gets signed first of that is like going to be unhappy. That's why that's makes a weird situation. That's why I want Lamar to go first because I feel like Allen and Mayfield are both going to have good years, and then they're both going to sign, and it is going to get jacked up. So I think Lamar, you probably do stand to benefit a little bit more than with Andrews, who I think you could afford to wait a little bit on. I mean, there's no fucking way Lamar's p- not pissed if Mayfield gets a bigger contract. Also, Lamar's situation is unique. I feel like he really wants to get signed. He's he's not operating operating with the agent, which we've said you know it's not as big a deal as it sounds. But he he's probably going to the team and saying. Let's get this shit done. Like, I want to get paid. I want to be able to run on asphalt and enjoy my life. Exactly. Well, but Mahomes is the ceiling, right? So you're not – I don't think the – I don't, well, I don't think – I don't Mahomes think is not – I don't think Mahomes class, is – He's a 10-year deal. I don't think Mahomes is a factor. I think it's Deshaun Watson and Dak Prescott they're looking yeah. at. Yeah. Yep. 
Yep. So they're both at 40, right? Yes. Yep. So okay, I'm, and Mahomes is at 45. Do you think kind of, but I, that's just so you can't get it. Mahomes is at 50, four, isn't he? I think no, he's at I think he's at 50 and 10, right? For 500 million, which is just an agent number, but. I thought it was 45. I if think it's 50 because I thought it was 10 50. Year 450, 10 year, 450 million. Okay, yeah, the only thing right. though is that like a lot of that, we don't know the exact language on the bonuses and shit. So I always like to look at the, at the guaranteed money sure. anyway. So he has 141 million. Mahomes' contract is fucking Wall Street in 1988. Like it's, it's funny money. Like it's an LBO. It's horse shit. It's, and it pisses me off about the Chiefs that they get to do that. And they just get to have all the good. They get to sign Orlando Brown. They're going to sign him, I'm sure. They got Travis Kelsey over here. They got Tyree Kill over here. They got all these great players. Goes to the economy. Benefits everybody. Hurts nobody except for me, who gets mad the because the Ravens. can't afford to sign Mark. Yeah, they can't. But they can't afford to fucking, you know, keep the uh, top four tight end, you know, in the fold. Because, oh, no, got to have 10 Anthony well, Levines I mean, running the, around. The, the Cowboys can afford to sign Dak more than the Ravens can afford to sign Lamar. So there's there's some nuance to it. There is more nuance to it than I'm presenting right now. I think that's pretty clear. Yeah, well, I'm not. Uh, yeah, yeah, but well, Mahomes' deals. This is a whole other. We're off on a tangent. That's now, fine. We, we, we do tangents. He gets, a, he gets a guaranteed roster bonus every year. So his actually his deal is actually good for him and good for the team. Right. So it's a different story. It's a different kind of structure. Um, and he gets all of that is, money from Hunt's catch up too. <laughs> You've got to be disappointed with the Ravens if they don't look at the creativity involved in Mahomes' contract and and work that way. Especially with yeah, Lamar's it's, it's marketability. It's going to be a shorter term deal too. I think it's yeah. not going to be. And especially because DaCosta secretly, like low key, is very competitive against Ozzy and maybe some of Ozzy's blemishes. You know, Joe Flacco's contract didn't turn out very well. Not that they had another alternative, but they also like. They also doubled down on it all the money when they didn't have to as well, which is kind of doubled down on it. They immediate there was no negotiation. I mean, you know, maybe Flacco is not coming down after winning the Super Bowl, but no, the, they immediately bent. So the structure was the problem, and it was a forced an extension off an ACL tear and a losing right. season and a negative interception to touchdown ratio. But it, but they then they all gave him a huge extension after that, and they're still digging out of the cap hell from that. But they finally had. So now they can pay Andrews. Exactly. Guess what? Goes the economy. Benefits everybody. Hurts nobody. So wide receivers. What do we think? Receivers, baby. Um, I'm excited for this preseason to see James Prochet, to see Devin Duvernay, to see Miles Boykin, who is, you know, probably going to be getting a lot of reps for a third-year guy, I would think. Uh, Tylen Wallace, you know, all, all those guys on the back, the backside of that receiver room to go ball out and let's see, you know, we would have had again, another guy that I think of when I think of Tyree Phillips, I think of James Prochet, we have only seen him run maybe 25 routes and have one target. So, you know, whatever it is, as simple as the offense is at the same time, Prochet is going to be able to look like a, you know, bona fide receiver or not in that preseason coming off that. Uh, lack of an offseason last year, and they're going to get to practice against the Carolina Panthers and do some interesting things. So um, I'm very excited for the preseason, for training camp, for those few guys. And uh, J- like, what was his name? Jalen Moore making a ton of noise as well. I think like eight different people mentioned him after OTAs. Benjamin like Victor Wink. making a little bit of a splash as well. Exactly. So I'm really excited to see that. I'm, that's what I'm most pumped about. 
is basically to watch James Prochet run a bunch of routes and see what's good. Voss, from your angle, I'm curious, is this the year Tim White breaks out? <laughs> I think so. He's got a lot of ability, the return man, you know, uh, capability God, he was too. He yeah, was he was. I mean, Smoke Mizell. He was fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. take Carl Mizell. The, uh, so I was listening to something. I don't remember what it was, but they were saying that, you know, they say if there's a weak link on the offensive line, the defense can attack that and it's kind of brings down the entire unit. Well, whatever I was listening to, they were saying that the same concept applies to the receiver position in the playoffs. And if you're wide receiver two and wide receiver three are weak, the good defensive coordinators can adjust the entire battle plan and take advantage of those issues and cause your offense problems and not to rehash the debate from pre-draft, pre-free agency, but the Ravens needed to address both the offensive line, the receiver position. They did that, obviously. Uh, Watkins looks like he has a really good rapport with Lamar already. Um, and he's always had the talent. You know, he's a top five pick. He is a wide receiver one as far as ability, one healthy. We've low-key kind of come full circle with you and Sammy Watkins here, by the way. I always like Sammy. No, that's what I'm saying. He was oh, like, yeah, he years was, ago when I was saying he was, uh, yeah, you're he right, was like you're the right. ne- like a Hall of Famer. Like, I don't, I don't yeah, think you were totally he wrong. Started strong. I don't he think you started strong. I think you were, you're, you were somewhat vindicated on that take, and probably would be more so if the injuries hadn't gotten in the way. What was that thing that uh, Josh uh, slacked yesterday? Where one of the uh, San Fran 49ers. So I, I, so I wrote that down. So Jimmy Ward of the yeah. San Francisco 49ers recently cited him as the reason Kansas City won the Super Bowl in 2019. So my follow-up question there, what will it take for him to re-sign with Baltimore in 2022? Is it going to be more postseason heroics or are we going to need to need to see some consistency or just uh, some explosiveness? That's going to be uh, hard to replicate. What do you think? I think the yak, dude, that's what they need from the position is the yak. They were like the worst in the league with running to the catch last year. Some of that's hitting the receivers in stride. A lot of it is guys like Hollywood not saving all of his yak yards for the playoffs every year. You know, I mean, there's there's a point for that too. Um, but I don't know. I think it's the deepest group of receivers they've ever had in team history. Uh, I will say that. Not necessarily the best top three, but the deepest you go back-to-back back early in the draft three years in a row, and you're in a good spot. I'm interested to see DuVernay. Is he going to be the starting slot, or are they going to rotate, you know, Hollywood, Watkins, Bateman, Tylen Wallace, even Boykin? They all have, you know, positional versatility, whether it's X. I think Boykin could be a big slot, potentially, and no. cause some problems there. No. Why not? You think who could? Just- Boykin, Boykin runs like crossers and some like slot. Like he could run some slot crosses. I have never seen him lose lose someone on like an option route type deal. I've never seen him shake someone. Yeah, he's the, he's he a total like he doesn't bang low in the paint. He's a total space player. I think. Yeah, he's like a deer. Okay. Well, anyway, Prochet. But I think that's everyone the else. Knock everyone else. Everyone it. else. We're nitpicking, but everyone else. That's the knock against Prochet. I think is that he's. He's exclusively a slot player. Yeah, and all the other guys can do pretty much all of it. So that's uh, that's where the battle's going to lie, I think. Yeah, I think Duvernay, again, might have packages. And 
it was underrated that he played on the outside a lot. I believe, you know, he can play the Z, the flanker off the line of scrimmage away from the other two. And I think that he can play that, that H or that S or whatever you want to call it. Certainly we've seen that he was one of the most prolific slot receivers of the last couple of years at Texas. So he's got that hands, the speed, the yak ability. That's, that's kind of his spider web is, is a triangle and everything else is kind of, you know, not fantastic. Um, but I would anticipate, like you said, Hollywood, I think is built best for the slot of anyone. And I think that he's going to see more usage there than maybe he's ever seen. Uh, last year, I think he was like a 70, 30 split between outside formation and slot. So using him in motion, they like to use, do that a lot. Uh, still going to be the case. Duvernay, I think is a motion man a lot as well. And Bateman, you're going to want to stick at that X on the line of scrimmage and, and let him fight his battles. He's also going to come in the slot too. So, so there's going to be a bevy between those three. So I, I'm going to go ahead and say, like, if you want a starting three, it's, it's going to be Watkins, it's going to be Bateman, and it's going to be Marquise right. of, then, of all those guys. And Duvernay is an ideal wide receiver four. He can stretch the field. He's a return man. He's got some gadget plays. I think uh, he's an ideal. So then how do you flesh He provides out? a lot of value as a fourth receiver. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I don't think he's necessarily a starting slot. Um, but a lot of depth. I mean, even you guys didn't mention Deion Kane, who's a guy that I liked a lot coming out of Clemson, who, like who made some plays. I mean, you got, you're going to have some guys on the P squad. I think they're going to probably end up being uh, six deep, right? But the question is, is it time to cut bait with Boykin, or, or is he going to get the job over Prochet, or is one of the other guys going to sneak in? Yeah, I think uh, that kind of is the battle that a lot of people are looking at weirdly is at the bottom with Prochet and Boykin because there is a lot of belief in Prochet. I think it's uh, well-founded and well-meaning. Um, I don't have a ton of belief in Boykin, but I do believe in his ability to be a more competent NFL receiver and kind of a better fit for what an NFL team would like to do as opposed to Prochet. But it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out because it sounds like from what we've heard from people in the know that the team really likes Prochet, and, you know, I could see that with Harbaugh, you know, seeing him as, like, a lunch pail guy and, like, intangibles and all that kind of stuff, um, which would maybe anger me in a normal year, but the fact that they go and get Bateman, they go and get Watkins, guys who can take over that X role, Spenny, we were talking about this a couple weeks ago, with X kind of having to be up on the line of scrimmage, having to, uh, and I had pulled this graphic up, having to draw and kind of go up in a phone booth against press coverage. You got Rashad Bateman, uh, Matt Harmon mentioned that he had a 73.3% uh, success rate versus press coverage in 2019, which is his best year. And you can kind of see the graphic there of his route uh, success and um, him kind of stepping into that X role a little more full-time. Watkins doing the same thing, freeing Hollywood Brown up to go into the Z to be able to go in motion and to be able to utilize him in a way that he's probably more suited for. Get him in motion, get him running kind of different routes, get him away from press coverage and kind of let him just do his thing, I think that's going to open up a lot of different things for the offense. So it's going to be less square peg round hole, and it's going to be more just kind of being able to do things that Roman wants to do with this talent, which is an argument I've been making a lot, but uh, I'm excited to see if it actually comes to fruition because obviously Roman, uh, you know, he has some improvements he needs to make, but I think having these talented guys in the fold is going to help. And then, uh, yeah, an exciting exciting battle at the bottom of the roster, including guys like Deion Kane, who you mentioned, Voss, who uh, a lot of people liked. Yeah, and Tyler Wallace, I want to see, is he going to show something on special teams? Is he going to get a jersey on game days, or is he going to be a weekly inactive type? Uh, 
I'm partial to Boykin just because he's it's a different skill set. He's a bigger guy. He's better really good on special job. teams. Great blocker. And good on, and good on special teams. And he's good, good on special teams as like a fucking the way that like a linebacker is or like a defensive end or something too. So right. gives gives you that kind of skill set. I just don't see where Prochet is is really bringing anything to the table above the three other guys that are already better slot receivers than him. So let's let's look at the slot options. Mark Andrews plays in the slot quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Hollywood Brown's going to play in the slot quite a bit. Rashad Bateman's going to play in the slot quite a bit. Sammy Watkins plays in the slot. Duvernay. Duvernay plays in the slot. And Wallace then can play in the slot. Wallace plays in the slot, and then there's Prochet. And he was the lowest pick. He was an active. He doesn't have the same kind of versatility I think Wallace has. That was a uh, sick a, out route that he ran, though. He the thing is though he is I mean I think he is a really nice route runner in the slot that's 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 the the tough conversation so I believe that this is settled either organically through the good old injury bug or uh, synthetically through the fake injury bug which is the IR stash especially now that you can bring guys off quickly so uh, I, I think that'll be settled but then my my question is even more so practice squad guys again i want to bring up jalen moore benjamin victor Deion kane that's that's the guys that are going to be getting the the nitty-gritty third fourth quarter reps in this preseason and trying to make a name for themselves so it's it's going to be very interesting benjamin victor has a good frame and some length to him a little bit some some deep ball ability tying back to ohio state and then Deion kane just had a really bad knee injury but the Steelers were just men like they were they were deeper than the Ravens are at receiver last year. So they couldn't couldn't sneak them on there. And Ravens end up being able to make a little snagu. So it's it's going to be tough. And I'm curious if, you know, somebody's going to have to either go on the IR. Somebody might have to get one of those four. Uh, I don't I feel like they're not going to want to use one of those four weekly designations. Those those whatever they're called uh, lock it ups where you can't take that guy off your practice squad on receiver, I feel like they're not going to want to go in that direction. So I could see someone definitely getting snagged immediately after cuts. What is the, uh, what is the highest offer that's going to make you kind of perk your ears up for a trade for Boykin or Prochet if a team is kind of wide receiver needy? <laughs> Fucking seventh. That's, yeah. If, 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 mean, you, if you can get a fifth, I'm like, bam. No, no, disrespect, that down. no disrespect to these guys, but, the Ravens have a loaded wide receiver core this year for the first time in forever. And the other 28 of the other teams also do. I mean, every year there's like 30 wide receivers drafted the last four years running. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a plethora or plethora. I don't think that's the supply a word. is the supply is wealthy right now. There's a ton of, there's a ton of receivers. There's so, a bubble. I've been saying yeah. it. If you could get, I mean, you know, they're not young guys. They're the two oldest receivers on the roster besides Watkins. They're both older than Hollywood. What? <laughs> yeah. That's fucking crazy. Crochet's the second oldest receiver on the roster. <laughs> this team, man. This team is fucking something else. Let me tell this you. This league. Hashtag this league. That's wild, man. And they're yeah. not, it's not like they do a lot on special teams either. You're probably. Yeah, I know. Like, Crochet was. Crochet? I mean, Duvernay started returning punts. Yeah, Crochet was the punt returner. Immediately was like more scary and it's like yeah it's crazy that this guy that's like a fucking track star yeah he doesn't have lateral agility but he's physical and he's fast like it's crazy that he would like come in and be better well he's a fucking great kick returner so it's like all right yeah i I like guys that return kicks to return punts if if you can't return kicks that means you don't have that that gear and that you know kind of fuck it i'm going track star through this through this lane 
And Duvernay is just simply built different. He's built like a running back more so. So yeah. I, think, I think Prochet did a fair job. He didn't fuck it up. He never fucked anything up. He was just, you know, get 10 yards here, make the right decision there. He had opportunities but, to fuck it up, too. He had a couple, like, squirrely ones that he wound up grabbing and running with. So he did, he did do a nice job, but... Uh, I just he, think, There like, was a couple panicked situations that didn't end poorly. Yeah, so I think he's... Uh, I think he, he could maybe catch on in the league somewhere. I, I like Prochet just fine. I actually liked him a lot when they picked him. Uh, I think the hype just got a little out of control. So hopefully he hopefully he proves me wrong, and he earns he's himself. Good, he's good organizational depth. That's what he is. For sure. So. I mean, like, he like he's a... He's a guy that they just weren't picking under Ozzy at a certain point. Ozzy just gets gun shy with these wide receivers, and he just like wouldn't bother like trading back into late rounds to get a guy, unless it's you know Michael Campanero who can't stay healthy, and it's just like all this, all this BS. It feels like they're at the very least they're getting more competent at picking they're guys deep. later. Like if at Miles, the very least they're deep. We're not talking about Chris Moore and a bunch of scrubs. Right. Jaleel Scott. If and, Miles, you know, yeah. If Miles Boykin and James Prochet are the two receivers that are like battling to get on the end of your roster, that is a far cry from where you were four years ago. And you have I, Deion Kane and Benjamin Victor and Jalen Moore on the outside looking in, and they would be like in competition. Kane and Victor for, are like pedigree receivers. Yeah, yeah. They'd be in competition to be wide receiver four most years. Right. Legit, very, legitimate. very good point. At least wide receiver five. Here are my two final thoughts kind of on, on Boykin. And, and Prochet. Boykin, to me, has so much pressure taken off of him now, not having to be maybe wide receiver two or wide receiver three. He can be a niche special teams player, has no necessity to do anything but develop right now. He's not going to be taking freaking 55% of snaps in games anymore. And then from what I've seen this offseason, kind of just like reading the tea leaves, aka like Lamar Jackson's fucking Instagram stories, I think that James Prochet is like invited to birthday partying, parties and engagement parties and you know, sits with them at lunch. And I think Boykin is the Steven fucking Glansberg of this group. I don't think that they fuck with Boykin. And I, my final question of this is, do you think Lamar is going to have like heavy say into which of those guys is, is it, if it comes down to it? No, I think it's Harbaugh. These are special teams positions. The last five guys, Harbaugh picks pretty much, you know? That's true. Which, like, I think Lamar should have say in who's going to be starting and catching the ball from him. I think Harbaugh should have say in who's going to be on special teams, right? I think, yeah. like, that makes sense to me. I've just seen Lamar kind of talk about Prochet a lot and, like, include him on things, and I've never seen him mention Miles Boykin's name before. He's got that Mamba mentality, man. You you run a couple wrong routes on him, and he's your persona non grata. I think that's the biggest similarity between Flacco and Lamar Jackson is if <laughs> – is if you fuck up, they don't trust you. And they've got their guys that they trust. Which I mean, is like pretty, pretty ballsy. It's Hollywood of, and Andrews and everybody else. Pretty, pretty, pretty ballsy of Flacco to like get all kind of high and muddy about that kind of thing. But all right. And I love Joe. I don't know. They might be able to flip Boykin for a decent pick. I mean, he's big. He's, he's, a, he's an Adonis. Third yeah. round As pick. As a coach, you're like, holy shit. He's a 99th percentile athlete who's good on special teams and has had a little bit of confidence issues. That's why I asked. You don't think fucking, you know, Sean Payton, like the 2008 financial crisis guy is like sitting there like, oh, listen, I could give up a third round pick for this guy or like a fourth round pick for this guy. Like, it's not going to matter because like we're never going to, you know, be picking in the draft anyway of any importance. Our cap space doesn't matter. Let's just give up a pick for this guy and he'll probably turn him into an 800 yard receiver. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. All right, gentlemen. Jameis Winston and Miles Boykin, I'm serious, 700-plus yards, like seven touchdowns minimum. Sean, listen, Sean would find a way. He did it for Perryman, right? Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah.
All right, gentlemen, is that all we got on wide receivers? I think that's all we got. Yeah, we I, didn't uh, we didn't get into tight end depth chart too much. Okay, let's let's, let's circle, circle back. But let's circle back yeah. on tight end. So you got I wrote down. We strayed. We strayed into contracts. We did stray into contracts a little bit, which is going to happen with our uh, our man on the bottom of the screen here. <laughs> um, so I wrote down. We we didn't talk Nick Boyle really either. Um, I said blocking is essential. Obviously, he caught eight first downs in nine games. Good for a clear career high, best percentage of fifty seven point one. So sneaky good receiver, Nick Boyle. And then obviously you were kind of alluding to the depth there, vying for that third spot. Eric Tomlinson, Jake Breland, Josh Oliver, Eli Wolf, Tony Poljan, and uh, possibly Ben Mason. I wrote down um, who makes it. I think Oliver's. Uh, the front runner. You're gonna have to see how he blocks when the pads come on and if he can stay healthy. But he is that seam stretcher, that receiving option. I'd say Wolf is probably the guy competing with him. Breland just can't get healthy, it seems. But the other interesting place is who's gonna be the potential extra blocker. Tomlinson is blocker only. By the way, Boyle's. Uh, reintroduction should be helpful in pass protection. I think that's worth mentioning because he's a big part of that. Stick him on Villanueva's side for a couple weeks. Yep, yep, yeah. He's While they get big, settled. I mean, he's he's like another offensive tackle out there. He's he's great at knowing when he can leak out too. Just have him chip, and then he finds a little space. That's his best asset as receiver is just finding some space, sitting down. Yeah. So I think the third spot's going to be a receiving. Tight end, probably Oliver, most likely. And then you're going to have Thomason. And I'm a little bit intrigued by Poljan. Uh, I'm intrigued by Poljan for sure. People he's like him. quarterback. He's a big body. I think he's a guy you park on the practice squad. And when Nick Boyle's contract, which was just extended, is up in, I think, two years, he's a guy that can potentially is, has been groomed and is ready to uh, – to play some snaps at that point. Yeah, it's a it's an intriguing group. I think uh, I like Oliver probably uh, the best among them, at least as far as potential goes. As I pull up some uh, pole Jan highlights here, but people were excited about him as well. But uh, people were excited a lot about Eli Wolf and Jacob Breland. I mean, you know, as much as you can be uh, about ooh, nice as much as you can be about um, you know these young undrafted tight ends that have injury issues, but. Uh, you got those guys in the mix. Spenny, you've probably watched more Eric Tomlinson tape than anyone should in the world. Um, so, yeah, there's there's just a lot going on with this group, and uh, I am interested to see. I think Ben Mason makes the team regardless, but I'd be interested to see if he's going to be lining up a tight end a lot in the preseason. He's just he's a fine blocker. I think he has a very high fundamental or technical, whichever you prefer, Floor, I guess is the best way to put it as a blocker. And I think that the Ravens improve the blocking capacity and the understanding of the blocking game and, and how to attack and where to put your hands and all that good stuff better than maybe any other team in the NFL with those types of players, with the running backs, with the fullbacks, with the tight ends, with the receivers, all that good stuff. So I anticipate, you know, him skyrocketing because he has such a high understanding going in as a, a in a technical sense. He's also like six foot three and has short arms. You know, you think he's going to go block? I don't think he's going to go be able to block TJ Watt at all. And Nick Boyle can. 
he's only 255 pounds too. It's not like he's a huge guy. He's either. he's not. He's built like a back, like a big back. So, I don't see where he fits in, but I guess special gonna, teams. I just can't, the guys that are. I think you have to he's bring fucking, something. He's else. a fucking linebacker. He's literally a linebacker. You can't be special teams only. Just being special teams only. Is just he can, but no, I mean, he can block. I just hate the whole. You know, I'd watch him get put on his ass too many times to have this whole badass reputation thing. And uh, the Mohawk kind of pisses me off because of that. Like the Mohawk is sick. If you're Pat Ricard, like Pat Ricard could have a Mohawk. He kind of does right now, but he doesn't even need to do that because he's Pat fucking Ricard. So, <laughs> are you saying he's all hat, no cattle, brother? A little <laughs> tiny bit. He would, I mean, he would run my ass over, but you know, I don't, I don't, I just don't see him sticking. Especially, he could be a wing, like a motion wing type. And against you know, like he's he's you know about the size of Tyus Bowser, give or take. Does but, he get picked up if they try to put him on the P squad? Definitely. Yeah, I think definitely. How many teams? How many teams even roster an H back, fullback, tight end hybrid? It's in, it's increasing. It's increasing. The Browns, the Titans, the Bills, the Jags, the uh, fucking Vikings, the Giants. Uh, there's a good bit. There's a good bit. There's a good bit. Dolphins. You know they, so they've got ten, some ties there. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's 10 guys maybe more. I, I think more he gets – I'm not worried though. You know, uh, it, I'm not worried about it, but it just is an, an annoying pick. But like how many fifth-round picks pan out, you know, one every couple of years, whatever. So it, it is what it is. And I think that – who knows? Maybe Pat Ricard's hip is fucked, and we don't really know that because he did have hip surgery. He is in the last year of his contract. And they clearly – like it's just such a big brain to be looking at your replacement fullback for your pro bowler who's on your roster. It's just like – Because fullbacks aren't – you can pay him. He's already paid – he's the second highest paid fullback in the league already. You can afford to continue paying He's, he's got to be at least like top six highest paid fullbacks. Or no, he's number two. He's number two after, it, it, Ju- after Juice Check. Oh, you're talking about Ricard. I thought you were talking about Mason. Oh, oh, no, no, no. Ricard, I was like, there, I was like, that would be funny if they Mason's were, probably a top ten paid type fullback. <laughs> if they rostered the one and two, Ricard was highest, and Ben Mason was second highest because nobody else pays fullbacks. That'd be sick. And he's that the highest sick. pick, so he gets they, slotted. They, they, it was it was one for the boys, you know. Let Roman have his guy or whatever. He whatever. was a listen. He was a Harbaugh guy. Let me tell you a little something about my guy John Harbaugh. He sees that guy playing for Big Blue. With the uh, the Mohawk, and if anybody's going to be fooled He's by his tort. act, oh yeah, if anybody's going to be fooled by uh, his his tough guy acts, let me let me tell you something about my guy John William. He's he's all in. There's there's some sort of defining physical muscle on Ben Mason that like John Harbaugh's <laughs> like, oh my god, have you seen his fucking his delts? Like I, I know I know delts, okay. Let me tell you I, something, I man. You should have seen me in '93. I had the biggest fucking delts. No, his forearms. There's, there's are something just... that Ben Mason has that John Harbaugh's like. That I've seen that before, and I want it. Got to talk to you, man, about your traps. How do you get them so uh, so big like that? I mean, it's really great, man. He's got all the talent in the world. Just got to go out there and let it rip, you know. Aaron Browning's son, Ben Mason. Watch, he's gonna he's gonna have a stampede through this preseason. Watch, he he's is. gonna be a fucking wrecking ball in my face. He is. Listen, and it's and they're gonna win both games, and he's gonna be a. Key there's player. three. Oh, there's three. three. Okay, so they're gonna win all. Notice three. I notice I did the German three. Not the, I did not because you, you don't want to get made for being uh for being a fake. Yeah, and then start a uh, gunfight in a cellar basement bar that, uh, you know, that was. I just thought Pat Ricard was going to be here a couple more years, and I'm going to be a sad panda if if 
Ben Mason. He is should great. be, man. He's a tone setter of the entire offense. He's he's a big he's just a big part of the Ravens. He's just a big part of the Ravens. We're gonna they keep are. both of them. Which, by the but, way, shout out to Mason's him. Mason's gonna push somebody else off the roster. That's gonna be a good player for somebody else that they could have used. No, and he that's uh, and he um, they could put Ben Mason on the practice squad and make him one of the untouchable players. But he's got a clear waivers for for week one, and then ah, uh, yeah, you're right. And he uh, Pat. By the way, I tweeted out a, a little I, – I put together a little happy birthday clip for him maybe a couple months ago, and I said um, – I, I tweeted the uh, video of – or like a, a mashup video I made of the drive against the Titans that he basically jump-started the offense and like turned the engine over. And I said like X amount of catches, like a touchdown, like great job, Pat, happy birthday. And he was like, yeah, it was actually Y amount of catches, catches but thank you. I was like, good for you. Great way to have a chip on your shoulder. We like that. <laughs> So that's my that's my um, non sequitur Pat Ricard story of the day. Love him, love him. But going back to tight ends real quickly, I just think it's like, do you value do you value having someone that's more like Mark Andrews, and that's going to be Josh Oliver, or do you value having another blocker? And if you have Ben Mason, it's not going to be another blocker. If you have Pat Ricard and Ben Mason and Nick Boyle, it has to be Josh Oliver, pretty much. Which I'm good with, or honestly. Or Wolf. Yeah. Wolf, yeah, Wolf, Wolf freaks me out. I don't know. He's, he looks like a man. He looks like a giant baby a little bit, and it, I, I'm, he freaks me out. I thought we said that about Breland. <laughs> both. I mean, they're both. They're both just six foot five, seven year olds that are <laughs> enormous. <laughs> look up Eli Wolf. Like look up Eli Wolf. Okay. I think Oliver could be a nice under the radar. Eli Wolf looks like the sadomasochist guy from the fucking Da Vinci Code. Getting a lot of sadomasochism talk on this episode. We're talking about the gimp. Yeah. Oh, are you talking about the yeah. Opus Day from uh, the, the the guys that like to whip themselves in Da Vinci Code? Yes, he looks like that guy. He's Opus Day, but he looks like him when he was thirteen, but is six foot five and you know jacked. <laughs> so yeah, he's I not see, making I, he's not making the roster. All right, I don't want him on the roster. He freaks me out. With like the with like the needle needle thing on his legs or whatever. Jacob Breland actually in the face looks like like the like one of the first guys cut from the Bachelorette. Like he doesn't make it past night one. Like, that's uh, what Jacob Breland looks like to me. So th- there you go. That's I feel <laughs> yeah, like that's, uh, that's Jacob that's, Breland's that's, never gonna Jacob Breland's never gonna play for the you. League. Basically, just described every white tight end in the league. Uh, yeah, most of the guys at the tight end. Shout out, yeah. listening. Shout out to former Ravens legend uh, Tyler C. Shout out to former Ravens legend Tyler C. Hot guy. Yeah, whatever. Okay. So I think it's got to be Oliver. Uh, I wouldn't put it past the Ravens to do some sneaky shit like IR him and recoup that pick and like let him clear waivers and be like, fuck it. We want that seventh round pick. I wouldn't put it past them. So they could take another fullback. Yes, so they could so they could draft Ben Mason's replacement. You're starting to see through the matrix, and we're gonna have to uh, send some. Uh, send Somewhere, some Eric Dacosta's like ears are on fire, and he's like, "Something, someone has found me out." Well, he's he's a listener to this show, so he'll he'll find out when he listens to it tomorrow. Exactly. But, All right. Yeah, uh, tight ends, good group, good depth. They basically just took as many. They picked up as many guys as they could. They have as many tight ends as they possibly could right now to make sure they have a tight end three. And they also have Ben Mason, who can do some things, and Pat Ricardi can do some things. So they're they're fine there. Nick Boyle's going to come back. Nick Nick Boyle's probably been injecting himself with horse stem cells for the past six months. He's going to come back six foot nine, three hundred and ten pounds, running a four seven, 
and neighing a little bit in the wind. He's gonna he's gonna whoop some ass. I right, listen just for the visual of that. I I do hope that happens. <laughs> neighing in the wind. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> are we uh, are we all taked out on offense here? We're we're taked out. We're taked out. Kevin okay. Zeitler, big addition. Okay, well, that will conclude it for today's episode, and tune in Friday for part two. Gorlami. Gorlami. Arrivederci. 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 Arrivederci.